You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I speak to Jason Dunn. I'm super excited about this one. Jason used to front the band Hawk Nelson for a period of time. He was their original frontman, went all the way up through 2012. So he and I dig into a lot of that journey, as well as what music means to him personally, and where he's been since his time leaving Hawk Nelson, um, and what those ventures and those projects look like. Jason really speaks to the essence of Volume 4, Truth, Soul, Rock and Roll, because of the fact that he felt that the truth of Hawk Nelson was they were a punk band. And regardless of whether they were a part of Tooth and Nail Records or another label or independent, whatever they wanted to do, Jason wanted to retain the essence of Hawk Nelson being a punk band. And, you know, sometimes living your truth or doing your truth means that you need to part ways with people that you've worked with or collaborated with for a long period of time. And that was the case with Jason. And so he talks about that truth. He also talks about his soul, like what music has meant to him, what it continues to mean to him, how he had this weird dichotomy of being in a, in a quote unquote Christian band, but also still wanting to make rock music. And then that's the rock and roll of it all. And what does this mean to Jason now, having left it and been out of Hawk Nelson for so many years? What is he working on? What new projects are around the horizon? There's a lot of great stuff. I think you're absolutely going to enjoy it. So stick around. I'll be right back with Jason after this. Let's back up and move to California. She's got lots of friends out there. We'll never get bored because we can go boarding. Let's let the sun shine. Take us You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am honored to be with Jason Dunn right now. The You might remember him as the lead, the former lead singer of Hawk Nelson. Jason, how are you doing today? Good evening, Joe. I'm great. How are you today, man? I'm doing really well. I got I to gotta tell you, I'm pretty excited to talk about your career and to really dig into a few different things. And, and I got to say, you know, for me, it's very nostalgic. I, I think the this the last couple of volumes have been very nostalgia focused because I remember selling the Letters to the President album. We'll get into Hawk Nelson, but selling that at a family Christian bookstore in Texas back in 2004. So that was uh, some of my first early introductions to Hawk Nelson. Glory days. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But um, what I really want to start out with, I like to ask uh, musicians that come on the show this first question uh, before we dig into your career, and that's what does music mean to you? Uh, I mean, music is, well, music was my everything from the time I was realistically probably 12 years old. Um, till I was probably 30 years old, you know, um, it was all I cared about. It's all I thought about. And, uh, I put my entire heart and soul into every song that I wrote, every song that I played, every song that I sang. Um, 
music still is a very big part of me, but it's now not my everything. Uh, and I know we'll dive into that later, Joe, but, you know, um, I love music. I still enjoy making music. Uh, but yeah. I love it. Let's put it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Let's let's dig into kind of that early life that you were talking about because you talked about music being so crucial to who you were kind of growing up and, and your early development. And so I'd love to know what was it like? Because you are, I don't know if people have caught up on, on the accent, but you are Canadian. So walk me through <laughs> what what it was like growing up as a, as a youth uh, in Canada. And then what were some of your early music introductions? Yeah, um, it's funny. I was just talking about this with a friend of mine the other day. Um, just the whole high school thing. is I, I didn't actually have my identity like just as a person, as an individual, till I was probably 16 years old. Yeah. Um, I look back at some old photos in high school. And I'm like, I was, I was a nerd. I was a dweeb. <laughs> and I, I didn't really have my niche. I didn't know who to hang out with. You know, yeah. I had my friends and we just, none of us knew what we were doing. But um, the reason we were talking about it is because Tony Hawk pro skater one and two is coming out in a couple weeks. Yes. And uh, I, I I bought it again because that was that was my that was my childhood. Yeah. And uh, all those bands that were on uh, Tony Hawk one and two like Goldfinger uh, represent. Right, you're wearing uh, a Goldfinger shirt tonight. You know, yep. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like uh, Blink, all those bands like yep. are. I mean Goldfinger especially. They're the ones that really got me into punk rock. And uh, it was it was the music, the punk rock music that really kind of helped define me in high school. And suddenly I became this guy that would wear like corduroy pants and whatever, whatever right. my parents could afford to send me to school into suddenly I started wearing like black skinny jeans and like black t-shirts and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, fast, fast forward a couple of years and wearing like nail polish and eyeshadow for, right. a, few, for, you know, for a few short right. And there was like but... studded belts and everything. Exactly. Yeah. And it just, it really <laughs> defined who I became as a as a as an individual as a high school and uh high schooler and then later on as a as a recording artist so um uh, a lot of that music still is very uh, dear to me today and uh yeah i'd be lying if i didn't say uh i don't I let my children listen to punk rock. Yeah, it's important. Yeah, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You gotta, you gotta expose them to or introduce them to you know the music that is important to yourself. And and you know, I think that's our job as parents, right? Is to be like, this is the this is the music I grew up with. This is the music that is important to me. And I want you to make of it what you will. And hopefully, there's some gold in there for you to be able to (laughs) build off of and go from there. So walk me through what it was like um, now getting the music and, and getting the, the identity and, and really being able to um, find a, I, I think it's, you know, we're, we're so formative in high school and when we find music and, or a niche or something that really speaks to who we are and is a way for us to express, you know, what we're currently feeling and working through and, and identifying as when we find that it means so much. And so I think it's, you know, we've got to that point where you've identified that for yourself. So how does that translate to, to early music uh, inclinations? Were you, did you do any choir? Did you just start with kind of a garage band? What was that like for you to, to gravitate towards um, kind of those early musical journeys? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, my very first, I mean, to my recollection, my very first 
introduction to music was uh, I went to a very small elementary school from grade from kindergarten to grade three and there's maybe 150 kids in the school so a lot of the classes were mixed in different ages and whatever and I just was walking from my class to the to the restroom and I remember this young girl who was in my class and she was taking violin lessons and I remember just staring there and just watching them in like the auditorium like I, I was like I want to do that. Right. And I, you know, I was probably, I had to have been in kindergarten or grade one at the, at the you know, oldest. So I couldn't have been older than four or five years old. Um, well, I know I was four because that's when my parents put me in piano lessons. So I told them I wanted to play the violin and um, my parents opted to put me in piano instead. <laughs> Get me started on piano. Yeah. Um, so that was it. And uh, I just, I loved it. And I fell in love with the instrument and, I just love that it could make sounds and the different notes you could play. I'm like, wow. Um, and it's cool because as a dad now, I know I see my three-year-old and he he sees this piano and he plays it and he, he looks at it and he's trying the different notes, you know. And it's just a really cool thing that I know he's – I'm like, I don't remember that exactly at that age, but I know he's kind of figuring that out too. But that was my earliest introduction to music. Um, and uh, – Eventually, I got taken out of piano because my piano teacher told my parents that I wasn't focused enough. Uh, I mean, in her defense, I was four years old, but four-year-olds focused. All right. But, um, but yeah, I just she would tell me to, to read the music. I didn't read music. I still don't read music to this day. But I would just hear the music that mm. she was playing, and I would just, I would just mirror it. And uh, that hasn't changed. So, um, yeah, I've been playing by ear since I was about four years old. Um, and yeah, I was in choir from the time I was, gosh, seven seven years old to, till I graduated from high school. Uh, it was a mandatory class where I grew up, so um, that was that. And uh, around fifteen, I wanted to get back into piano to try to hone my skills a bit and kind of figure out what I was doing more, what I was doing wrong. But uh, yeah, kind of learned again and retaught myself and kind of started writing songs from then. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I love Here that. We are. <laughs> yeah, there's um. I just recently watched uh, Rocket Man about Elton John, and there's that scene. Uh, if anybody's seen it, where he goes to the Royal Academy of Music and he walks in, and, and this woman's playing. I, I don't know the piece because I don't know classical music, but she's playing a very popular and familiar classical piece. And then she stops halfway through when he comes in, and then she asks him to play, and so he plays perfectly all the way up to where she stops. And she said, "Why did you stop?" And he said, "That's as far as you got." And as an indication of I'm hearing the music really well, yeah. you know, I don't have a sheet in front of me. So it's just, it, it made me think of that, that scene. Cause it's so funny. And I think, I think you're so right in that, you know, the way in which we introduce kids to music, um, has to be at a way where it is some, like young, young children, I think is, has to be in a way in which they can identify it. They can retain it. It's a fun, it's fun game and that makes sense to them. And then they can build, build those blocks. If you go straight into some of the, you know, early stuff about reading music and this and that, it, it's definitely difficult to, I won't say impossible, but difficult to get for young, young children for sure. But yeah. And I'm learning that now my wife, uh, she's a music teacher. And so go. We're, we are polar opposites on the musical spectrum where I'm like, I'll play a song. She's like, unless she has the sheet music in front of her, there's no way she's going to be able to play it. And it's just, uh, it's just cool to see both sides. And 
yeah, it's our kids are going to be in trouble for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> I like it. I like it. So now walk me through some of the uh, early perspective in in creating a band. I know we're going to talk about Hawk Nelson quite a bit in the next segment, but some of the early bands, I believe there was um, an independent group that you had formed. Was it Swish? Is that correct? <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. So, so walk me through the your perspective. Really take us through the journey of creating that band, and what was it like in some of those early days? Was it still a kind of a, you know a pop or punk rock band, or was it a little bit more you know kind of alternative? What what was the musical stylings of Swish? Yeah. So again, at that time in my life, I was. 12 years old so uh i didn't really find my identity like i said it was about 16 or 17 sure, so sure. our music really kind of matched my style which was kind of all over the map so <laughs> fair enough um you know we we were just kids so we just whatever we listened to we would basically just write that song just a little bit worse you know <laughs> um growing up my early influences definitely was uh, michael w smith oh yes um, yeah you know he was just he was my guy, and uh, I guess I mean the early the early Smith, you know, change your world, man. That that album was a banger. And, right, uh, right. I, I don't know, just the the pop elements and the rock elements behind his music was really uh, influential in my early days for sure. Um, until I started listening to punk rock, so uh, I would say it was definitely a little bit of mix of that. Um, you know, growing up in a Christian family. Um, I was only allowed to listen to Christian music. Sure. So um, when I got introduced to Green Day early on, that was a, you know, yeah, I loved it, but I could only listen to it when my parents went to the grocery store. You know right. What I mean? Yeah. 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 Uh, so we were all, we've all been there. So yeah. Um, yeah. A little bit of Green Day and Nirvana rubbed off on me in the early days too, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were just kind of all over the place. Um, but Swish actually, we ended up, renaming our band to hawk nelson it was all the same members uh, aside from the bass player chad who left he just you know we were kids he's like no i'm not gonna do this full time sure i'm gonna, I'm gonna go to college and get a real job and <laughs> yeah. i don't blame him yeah. uh and that's where we met daniel he was uh he played in another band out of uh, another town a few hours away from us um but yeah he ended up playing with us and i thought it'd be a good idea to uh clean slate if right. we're, if we're new new members we should probably change the name and yeah. uh, uh ironically they didn't do that when i left but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it is what it is but right. um yeah we agreed i'm like yeah you're right we should change the name so we changed our name to hawk nelson i like it uh we sat around my parents dinner table and that was the name i came up with and uh Sadly, my name stuck. So Hawk Nelson was the band name. <laughs> I guess it's still going. I think, right, so. <laughs> right. Current. Yeah. But let's 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 go back just a little bit though, because I do want. I think it's important to touch on the aspect of of religion in the household, right, and how that can influence a multiple a multitude of decisions, such as music. So I think, you know, for me growing up in a in a similar in a similar household, Christian music was not the only thing we could listen to, but it was primarily the only thing we listened to, you know, as opposed to like, so it would be pretty much like Christian music and some of the Beatles and some of the mamas and the papas and some of like some of the sixties and seventies music that my parents loved when they were kids. Right. And so, yeah. um, but yeah, it was definitely lots of, 
Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Amy Grant. I mean, um, Amy Grant. Am I remembering that correctly? It's been a minute. Might not be correct. Uh, I'm gonna say Amy Grant. I could be wrong, but um, but just that. I mean, those are those are the three right yeah, there. Those right. are the, the trifecta. Right. And so I want to know what maybe, and this is de- definitely a conversation that we're gonna dig into later as well. But um, I guess maybe the best way to confront it was or or ask this question would be how how did growing up in a religious household shaped the way in which you viewed the world in some of your early years? Maybe that's a a good way to ask it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I grew up in the, uh, I was submerged in the Christian bubble from, from about the time I was four years old. Um, My parents got radically saved. So everything outside of Christianity was wrong. It was, it was off limits, but it, um, it was from a. It was from more from the. Not the grace of God, but the you know, if if you did this wrong, you're gonna go to hell for that. You know that was yeah. That was the that was the generation I grew up in. You know yeah yeah yeah. Um, you know and it was that was it. And so we were we were more afraid of God than than felt redeemed by God. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. And so that it uh, yeah I'm sure we'll get into this as we go on here, but. I got burnt out well even while I was in Hawk Nelson and I just kind of you know yeah it it can't got to the point where I'm like this I don't think this is for me this is more my parents thing and I I sure. respect it but this is uh this is not for me and I know a lot of artists who go through the Christian market they get at they end up asking these questions and they don't find the correct answers and then they yeah. they all they burn out and then right then, then where do you go, right? So yeah, and I think, and I'm, I'm excited. We're definitely going to be digging into the Christian music genre or Christian music scene, however you want to define it, uh, in this next segment. But I think it's, I think it's imperative that we talk about when we're talking about spirituality and we're talking about um, the grace of God and we're talking about thing, these um, very um, not just redeeming qualities. That's not quite the word I'm looking for, but very, um, um, words are escaping me at the moment, but I guess though a very, um, this presence, maybe that's, maybe it's because there's not really a great word for it, but this, this presence that you can feel right. And that it, that I think takes, takes, can take many forms and can feel differently to different people. Um, but is something that you can definitely feel extreme, very strongly. I think when we, don't have, um, this is where I'm going. Okay. Now I remember the thought. So here I'm going to circle back a little bit to it is I read, I read somewhere and I don't remember which book it was, but it talked about, um, religion, religion as a, as a organization has, has, is man's best attempt to try and explain the unexplainable. And I think you can feel a lot of these, these spiritualities within us. Right. And so like for me, you know, I feel that there's a higher purpose than my own. And I'm trying to contribute to that. And I want to leave the world better than I found it. And I want to instill goodness in the world and raise inclusive kids and all this stuff. And I can feel that, right. And I feel that I'm contributing to a greater good in that type of way. And I think because we have so many people who are trying to unexplain the unexplainable, it can be interpreted in this type of 
it's, you know, black and white. It's, you got to do this. Or if you don't, it, you're going to a bad place. Like, you know, um, yeah. uh, cause and effect. Like that's really easy for people to grasp. And so I, I totally can relate to feeling like this isn't quite, this isn't quite what I feel or I believe or I know to be true, but it, but, but I don't know how, I don't have the language or the words or the experience to bump up against it. So I'm not really sure what sure. to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd love to know, you know, as we're starting to wrap up this segment, maybe one of the things that as that I'd really love to know is how supportive were your parents um, when you started the band and as it started to transition to those early years of Hawk Nelson, how was that like? Yeah, uh, they loved it. You know, my dad, my dad's a guitar player. Um, I basically followed his footsteps without even realizing it. Um, I didn't know this till later on, but my dad was in the band his whole life. Wow. Um, and then uh, he met my mom and uh, they got pregnant and uh, he had to quit music. Yeah. And, uh, and then, like I said earlier, my parents becoming radically saved. When they got saved, you know, distortion was of the devil. You know, the whole Jimmy Swagger. Oh, right. Uh, the devil <laughs> created rock and roll. And, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. And my dad was like, yeah. So he got rid of his guitars. He got wow. rid of everything and uh, until later on in life. And my dad can still shred. And sometimes he's in a band now. And sometimes I fill in and play wherever they need me. So uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I love playing with them still. But um um sorry i got sidetracked there no it's okay but, oh, oh yeah but so they were yeah they're they're very supportive um they didn't think i was gonna go anywhere with it not yeah. because they didn't think i was talented they just i was you know my whole upbringing i wanted to be a doctor like i wanted to go to school and you know out of high school i was planning what college to go to and then um i was like especially my last year of high school i was kind of switching my career idea every couple of days right so when i told them i thought i was going to give the band a shot they're like oh great honey they're like He'll change his mind again next week. Yeah. And then I hit the road for 15 years. And yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. Was it, was it, um, had, had your group kind of been labeled or deemed or identified as a Christian rock group or Christian punk group at that point? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We, uh, when and I did that make it easier? Yeah. yeah. For your uh, parents? No. Oh, yeah. Oh, Without a doubt, I don't even think I've I've asked them that, but for sure, yeah, percent. We were we were a youth band. We played in our, we were we did the worship for our youth. Mm. That was our okay. That, that was makes how sense. We, that was our in. So that makes our sense. Our youth pastor, our youth pastor Rick was like, okay, church or youth starts at seven. We're like, okay, but if could we start at six thirty? We could play our own material, and then at seven o'clock we could we'll do the do worship songs. The yeah, worship. yeah, and that was that was it, and then. We literally, that's, we started going to different youth groups around the city. Then we started doing youth groups around the, the province. And then we started going into Quebec and to Montreal, all these different areas, just doing worship and then getting our 30 minutes in beforehand. You know, that was <laughs> our, that was our thing as Swish. And then um, we decided uh, as the band was kind of disbanding, but then kind of reforming as Hawk Nelson, we're like, okay, are we going to be a worship band or are we going to be a punk rock band? Because yeah. we're, we're one or the other. Right. You know, we don't, don't be both. Yeah. And uh, I like I want to be a punk band. Let's just do it. Let's just let it rip. And because uh, we love we love when kids got into it. We love when we start playing and they just start moshing and like stage diving. And we're yeah. like, this is amazing. And, and yeah. like we're like it was it's such a cool experience yeah. to make the music. But the just the experience all around was an amazing thing. So that's what we all wanted. We were all in agreement. So um, 
we quit doing worship music. And uh, yeah, that was that beginning of Hawk Nelson. I love it. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Sean. I'm here with Jason Dunn. And now you're no longer swishing it. You are flying like a hawk. Nelson, that is. <laughs> that was that my... Was beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, so you've reformed. You, you quote unquote disbanded as a worship band, but reformed under Hawk Nelson. You've made the decision, hey, we're going to be a punk band. We're not going to be a worship band. So what was that thought process like to start performing as a quote unquote, well, I won't, uh, cause you're still under the Christian kind of identity. So I won't say secular band, but I'll say just not as a worship band. What was it like kind of doing the touring and performing and starting to write yeah. material for Hawk Nelson? Yeah, we actually tried to just get away completely do a, a really a clean break mm -hmm. just so everyone knew we weren't a Christian band. You know, that was, that was a really big deal to us when we were 17. We didn't want people to associated with the church we just wanted to um you know because early well, this, on people were like oh yeah this was early 2000s right and so yeah. and so at, at before kind of the big explosion in kind of these alternative christian christian label or christian genre bands christian music was like what we had talked about like i traditionally thinking yeah. of like stephen chris chapman michael w smith that kind of stuff and so it's like okay well we're not quite that we're not that. We're more over here with like the green days of the world. So let's make yeah, that clean. We break. actually we use we actually use MXPX as a great reference because yep, we knew exactly. they knew they believed in God, but you would never tell by listening to their lyrics. Right. And we were more than okay with that. Yeah. Um, and then you know at that again as I mentioned earlier the whole Tony Hawk Pro Skater one and two, uh, that's that defined us and we're like we're gonna write songs like this band this band this band that band. And uh, we didn't want to play churches. We wanted to make sure we played, you know, clubs. We started booking these really crappy shows in Toronto. <laughs> uh, you know, the promoters would be like, okay, if you can bring 30 of your friends, we'll get you on a better time slot in, like, the weekend. You know, like, for right now, you're coming in at 11 p.m. on a Monday night. <laughs> so, and we're not that close to Toronto. We're, like, an hour and a half to get there. So, we're, like, trying to, like beg our friends to drive up in their cars and again we're 17 so right can you borrow your parents cars and you know yeah uh, yeah and we just tried to do everything we could to to make it happen and i guess i guess we kind of did it wasn't right. it wasn't super easy but we did it yeah. and y'all had been touring for a couple of years before you got signed by tooth and nail correct uh we toured in Canada. Or, like, yeah, we just, local, yeah. Not locally, but I guess maybe more... Re uh, well, I was going to say regionally, but perhaps that may not even have been correct, but more just around the country, I guess. Yeah, within, probably within like an eight-hour radius. Okay, say. okay, that's fair. Um, I think the break for us was um, 
there was another band from our from our town, and we're not a, it's not a big town where we live or where we're from. Uh, another band by the name of Thousand Foot Crutch. Yep, TFK. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure you sold some of their albums back in the day. Yes, too. yes, FM Static as well. But yeah, <laughs> so um, Trev has been a huge influence for us. He's been like a big brother to me my whole life. Um, we went to church and school together, and I remember when they signed a Tooth and Nail, I was just floored. I'm like, that's MXPX, Slick Shoes, all these guys are on this label. Like, we sent demos to them. We're like, that's that's amazing. Yeah. Like, like what was your secret, man? Like, tell us. And uh, so at this point, we were putting a, each of us in the band where um, we're just working, you know, high schoolers working day jobs and whatever on weekends. Um, we put out $100 aside every month and we put it into a, our band account and to the point where we uh, we raised $10,000 to record a demo. So all the songs we've been writing, we made this demo um, at a studio and uh, we did a, we've hired a photographer and like tried to go for it, built a website and that's a lot when you're 17 and yeah. it's 2000, 2002 or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so we, we showed Trev, he came out one night to one of our practices just to see what we were up to and and what kind of guy does that? You know what I mean? So yeah. it says a lot about him and his character and that he gave some 17-year-old kids a chance to just hear us and, you know, made our night, you know. And we told him what we did. Like, he's like, you guys made this? We're like, yeah, we, we saved $10,000. I think he just saw the effort that we put into it. Not yeah. just like some band like, yeah, we're just hoping one day we're going to get signed. Like, someone's going to pick us up. And right. That wasn't our attitude. It was never our attitude. We, we worked hard right from the get-go. And uh, he picked up on that. And... Uh, he decided to take our demo to Tooth and Nail. Like he just handed it right to Brandon Ebel at Tooth and Nail, and he's like, "I think these guys would be a really good fit for Tooth and Nail." Yeah. And uh, speaking of Trev's character, Brandon obviously respected him, and he was a new sign, so he wasn't like him and Brandon didn't know each other all that long. You know? Right. So Brandon, he flew from Seattle to Toronto, and then made the trek from the Toronto airport to our town, which is like two hours from the airport. <laughs> To come see some band he'd never even heard of, and uh, yeah, we played our showcase, and uh, we were we had a pretty we built a big following locally, you know. Yeah. Um. So when he showed up, that he could hardly get in the door because the, the little venue was just packed, like three hundred kids just sweating it out and waiting <laughs> for their favorite local band to come up and play, and yeah. uh, that was that was it. That was the beginning right there, and uh, we signed I think the summer later. At Cornerstone, yeah. he invited us back out to do a showcase there. The rest, as they say, is history. What was it like performing at Cornerstone? I think that's probably a whole nother, whole nother topic. But that was a that was a pretty big festival for a long time um, in within the Christian community. So, what was it like being able to do a showcase at Cornerstone? Uh, thankfully, I didn't know much about it because, again, I was only, I think I was 18 or 19 at sure. this point. Yeah. So I didn't know till later on in life. But like, then you start talking, you tell people that you play chorus and then all your, like, your friend's dads, when you're back home, you're like, you guys play chorus festival? <laughs> Man, I was there when it opened in 19 whatever. Yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize it was that big of a deal. Yeah. You know? uh, so thankfully, I, I think I would have been too nervous had I known how big of a deal it was. Right. So uh, yeah, we got we got lucky there. <laughs> <laughs> it was it's almost like uh, a, a little bit like a, a, a Christian community version of Woodstock, I guess would be a good Absolutely. comparable. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. So now 
I'd love to know what were, so now that you've been signed, what was, what was the process like for you um, and the group from getting signed uh, at Tooth & Nail until Letters to the President actually got released, your debut album? Um, so we had our, our demo that we made and that was our merch, you know, we had that yeah. and a couple of t-shirts and sweatbands or whatever, and just kind of hustled forever with that album. Um, when we signed, uh, Brandon put us on a tour cause we didn't have management or anything like that. Um, he put us on a tour with TFK and FM static. It was across Canada. We couldn't, uh, we didn't have visas to go to the U S so we could only stay in Canada. Right. In fact, um, the first show was in Red Deer, Alberta, which I'm not sure how familiar you are with the map of Canada, but not, not a, very, <laughs> the, the first, the first show was a 48 hour drive. Oh, wow. So, um, it would have been a lot quicker had we been able to cut down to the U S but yeah. we didn't, we weren't able to. So we had to, we had to go all the way up North and up over the mountains and, it was a long track. Wow! Uh, so yeah, that was our first. Uh, that was our first road trip as a band, and uh, we started in Red Deer, met up with the other band and other bands, I guess. Yeah. And our, our touring day started right then and there. And TFK had a had had built a big name for themselves in Canada. You know, they were already touring for probably ten years as an independent band. Yeah. So you know, we were doing like hockey arenas our yeah. first tour. So <laughs> there's like the smallest the smallest uh, arena is probably fifteen hundred people. Yeah. Wow. So to, to to in our mind, this is like, this is what being signed to a label is. Right. So yeah. We're like, this this is so amazing. Like, <laughs> we'd be lucky if we did shows and fifty kids would show up. You know. Right. If if we were out of our home, like our hometown, we could probably draw three hundred kids, no problem. But if you go an hour out, if you get fifty people, like, sweet, that was a great show. Right. <laughs> so we were just like, couldn't believe it. You know. Yeah. Um, so that was the tour we did that from, we left on Thanksgiving, Canadian Thanksgiving in October and it started the first week of November and it went to, I think the first week of December. It was just like three or four week long tour. Is this 2003, 2004? 2003. 2003. That's right. Cause letters of the president came out in 04. Yeah, yeah. And then January of 04, we flew to Seattle to record letters to the president with Aaron Sprinkle. Mm. So we got all our visas in place for that, and then we were able to fly to Seattle, and uh, it's the first time in an airplane, and you know, it was just oh, wow. it was a whole bunch of a whole bunch of firsts, you know. Yeah. So I had just turned twenty, I guess. So, um, yeah, it was an unbelievable experience, and um, yeah, we flew to Seattle, um, recorded letters with Sprinkle, who. I loved all of his work, you know. I knew he did a lot of the PX albums and right. all these bands that I grew up admiring. And I knew he did F- like I heard the FM Static demos when, and then I heard the product, the produced version. I was like, "We've got to do our album with this guy." Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, the first song he ever played for me back was a song called First Time" that we recorded, and I honestly didn't believe it was us. And it was just I was like, "If our whole album sounds like this, I was like, this is gonna be insane." And uh, so we recorded the album and then jumped on a tour with uh, Sidewalk Slam, okay. another great band, uh, another great Tooth & Nail band. And, uh, you know, I was super excited and nervous to meet them. And uh, we, we met them in Wisconsin. Again, that's like a 24-hour drive for us as well. So right. uh, we weren't really central to anything, <laughs> I, I, I realized. So uh, we met them and that tour was not like the TFK tour. Uh, there were sometimes 10 kids at a show. At one show, there were seven kids at a show. Wow. And I was like, oh, so this is the reality. You know, right. and it wasn't, it wasn't all like, oh, this is the day. It was like, 
oh, we're probably not going to get any money on this show. So right. I don't even know how we're going to. I don't know how we're going to make it to Fort Wayne, Indiana. With we've got twenty. We made twenty bucks that night. And, yeah. Uh, we got to sell a few T-shirts so we can fill our tank. You know. Right. Yeah. Um. So we did that. We did that for about four years, playing to nobody, making no money, but but we didn't care. We just loved. We love that we didn't have to work jobs. Right. And we just love that we were on the road just slowly making a name for ourselves, you know? Yeah. Um, and then uh, at that point, we got management. We signed to Paradigm Management out of Nashville. And they had uh, another artist on their roster, the boy band Plus One. And, oh, uh, yes. So for whatever reason, we got thrown on a tour of Plus One, but they were no longer the boy band. They had rebranded themselves as a three-piece rock band. Right. And I was like, this is going to be so bad. It's like, we're going on tour with the Christian Backstreet Boys. <laughs> and I was, I was kind of like, this is going to be super weird. Um, and But we went out. We didn't say it to their faces, of course, no, of so course. later on. But <laughs> once we got on, and that was like a four-month-long tour. Right. But the tour was massive. Uh, massive for us, not massive for them. You know, they just came off this huge, successful career right. of playing arenas and stadiums with like 10,000 screaming fans. And so from them jumping down to 10,000 people to 2,000 people, that's that hurts their confidence. But we were like, this is incredible. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't know this was going on behind the scenes. But the great thing about it for us, terrible for them, is all their young fans gravitated towards us. Right. Because they, <laughs> they like the boy, the, the pop punk boys, you know, the, the, the Christian good Charlotte. Right. And they, they weren't really they weren't really jiving with the, the new version of Plus One. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit of a weird tension there for them, for sure. I see that in hindsight. But um, we became actually very, very good friends with those guys. And uh, I still keep up with uh, a couple of them to this day. Um, so we joke about it now and I'm like, I just remember when we first went on tour with you guys, I was like, great, we're going on tour with the Christian plus one. <laughs> and they're, they're laughing. They're like, we said, we're great. We're going on tour with the Christian good Charlotte. So we're both, tra- <laughs> we're both smack talking each other behind their backs without even knowing it. So it's all good now. Um, yeah. and yeah, but it was great. I'm very thankful for that opportunity to tour with them and to steal all their fans. So uh, <laughs> it, it really, it, it honestly, it gave us a platform to really jumpstart our career. So it was yeah. amazing. I uh, I definitely had the plus one CD as well. So it's really funny that you talk about plus one. Uh, that cracks me up. The the ver- the first one, not the the reformed one. Um, oh, the Exodus. It was good. Man. Yeah, I actually really liked them. Yeah, yeah, it was really really good. Um, but yeah, to your point, I do remember seeing them come on the scene and going. Huh? They just seem like uh, the Christian answer to In Sync, and I remember everybody yeah. at the church were like, "This is great. I love, yeah. I love boy bands, and my parents will buy it for me because it's a Christian boy band." Yeah, um, absolutely, man. But yeah, no. Um, but what was it like for you? Because you talked about everybody was writing music. So how much did you? How many songs did you write for Letters to the President? Uh Well, you see, the thing is, that's Letters was a bit different because it was oh, our okay. first one. So we had like probably fifty songs, you know, that we oh we, sure we had, you know, we had played early on, and we just been, we were always constantly writing, so we had yep. fresh material all the time, and so we had a lot to choose from. When we got to Smile, they're like, "Okay, you need an album." We're like, "We're still on tour." Right. Yeah, but you got to put a new album. In. We're like, "Oh, oh, I haven't really thought about writing." I'm trying to save my voice because I'm touring, you know? Right. So that, that was a whole new experience. But um, 
Letters, you know, we had a lot of help. Uh, that was actually when we signed with Tooth & Nail. Uh, Ebel, Brandon was like, uh, Trev from TFK mm-hmm. had to, uh, he co-produced it and co-wrote the whole album with us. Okay, After gotcha. the first two albums, that was part of the the deal. Um, and we're like, sure, whatever, whatever you say, man. Just, right. I want to sign a tooth and nail, so whatever you need. So, yeah. uh, Trev, Trev spent a lot of time and put a lot of effort and energy into helping us and uh, super thankful for that and uh, learned a whole lot from him just from a songwriting standpoint and uh, I still to this day really appreciate everything he taught me as a songwriter and just uh, as as a musician and uh, I, yeah, I love that guy dearly and yeah. I love that. So now you're, you're touring, you've been touring with Plus One. Uh, what was it like, when was the moment, because y'all, before... Um, or maybe it was right after Smile, but it was somewhere in there where y'all really seemed to turn a corner and really hit it big with a couple songs and a couple of shows and movies. So what was it like um, getting to, I guess there's a twofold question here. And one is what were some of the early perceptions around Hawk Nelson as a group and having, and being, and going on tour with other Christian groups such as plus one and having that kind of, um, com- the grouping of Hawk Nelson within like kind of a, a Christian umbrella, I'm using air quotes. And then coupling that with when was the moment where you kind of turned around and were like, Hey, I think we're, I think people are coming to like legit see us. And I think this is like, this is a thing like this is not, I don't want to use the phrase like we made it, but like kind of that turning around and going, Whoa, yeah. we're, we're a lot higher than we were before <laughs> up this mountain. Yeah, man, it's funny. I actually didn't realize how successful Hawk Nelson was until I left the band. <laughs> and I know that's funny, but it's it's crazy because there are so different, so many different levels of making it. Sure. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. We lived we lived off McDonald's dollar menu meal for three years. Yeah. At the first time we got an actual paycheck, we're like, "Holy smoke! Someone just paid us five hundred bucks to play a show." <laughs> we're like, yeah. you know what I mean? They're like. We, we've arrived right and then it's like oh my gosh we have enough money we can like buy t-shirts now like that just little steps we're like oh my gosh we've made it yeah and it became an ongoing thing it's like again you, you do your first headlining show or headlining tour and 150 kids show up you're like oh my gosh last night we had 75 people or the last time we were in florida we had 80 people now there's 300 people like this is amazing and they're all here to see us and right i just you just I took every day as a blessing um, yeah. early on, and then as as uh, I don't know where the turn was, man, but I think as success kind of we started gra- grasping success and we started feeling success, we kind of just kind of took it for granted, and I kind of lost the joy of it. And then you just yeah. kind of became jaded by, oh, that sucks. Last time there was fifteen hundred people here, now there's twelve hundred people here, yeah. and where was that shift? You know what I mean? And, yeah. uh, it's, it's, I'm sad that I didn't catch that at an early phase to prevent that, but I think it hit us all and it hits a lot of artists. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just one of those weird things that you can't really take back. Right. Now moving, moving forward just a little bit as we're getting to Hawk Nelson is my friend and live out loud. These albums, I, I really want to know, like, truthfully, in, in my research, I was, I was going through this, and I don't think I had picked up on the fact that you had, I think it was on Hawk Nelson's My Friend, you had songs um, co-written by Rain Meta, or Meta, 
from Our Lady of Peace. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or Our Lady of Peace. Our Lady of Peace. Oh, my God. So I love Our Lady of Peace, and uh, I love Rain Meta as a singer, and I love the name Rain that I actually – my son's middle name is Rain as a result of that. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So wow. when I saw that, I was like, I got I to gotta ask you what that – process was like how did he even get how did he even i mean i know he's canadian but like how did he get connected with y'all man i honestly that's just one of those it's still one of those to this day i'm still like i cannot believe that i actually said to my wife the other day i'm like because i i'm still a huge our lady peace fan yeah uh navid and yes are, are still honestly like two oh. of my favorite albums of all time yes and uh i was literally said to her, i'm like how how is that in real life yeah like i i i I was emailed like, here's his phone number. Tell him when you get, here's his address. Give him a call and you get there and he'll open up his gate and let you into his house. Oh my God. And you, and you spend a couple days and write songs. I was like, <laughs> like <laughs> mind blown. So, um, I guess I'll just, I'll go back a little bit here, Joe, just to kind of give mm, some, mm-hmm. some, I don't know. Additional context. Ref, some reference here, some context. Sure. Um, so right after letters to the president, um, our bands, Hog Nelson, broke up. Oh wow! Um, we 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 lived in a van. We weren't living a glamorous life. Although the album was doing fantastic, we thought we were we were touring steadily. We were selling a ton of albums, just touring constantly, and we, we were starting to generate a good name for ourselves. Um, we had some drama, you know, inner drama, band sure. drama, you know, yeah. girls on the road. Like yeah. we should just be the four of us. And long story short, we kicked the guitar player out of the band. For bringing his wife on the road, yeah. whatever it's, we were twenty years old. Yeah, it's, we didn't feel girls should have been on the road at twenty years old. We were trying to build a career, so it. it yeah, who cares? No, I... we're, we're adults now, and right. So that caused that kind of shook up the band. The drummer Matt and the guitar player Dave are like really close. Well, I mean, we all were, but when Dave left, I kind of Matt kind of felt hurt. Matt left, hmm. so we were down to just two of us, and we're like, the band's over. Like I was just like. We lasted like eight months as a band. Yeah, we're done. And I was, I was kind of like, I don't want to go back home yet. I, I want to. I just kind of felt like we were getting some momentum, and uh, so we had uh, hired a guy to play guitar, Jonathan, who you know, obviously you know Jonathan, he became right. the new singer. Yep. Uh, but anyways, John came and played guitar, filled in. Well, Dave was doing marriage counseling. John filled in, so John knew some of the songs, and that was kind of how he got his in. Sure. Um, but we didn't have a drummer. We had a couple of guys fill in while Matt left. And it was atrocious, Oof. you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was bad. Um, so we were getting ready to... Uh, so as the band was done, we had these guys filling in. And we got this invitation to play um, uh, a showcase in Nashville, Tennessee. And it was for uh, these big wigs, um, for like these music supervisors, for all the different uh, TV networks, like ABC, NBC. Oh, sure, 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 you sure. You name it. So we're like, we were told that's where we're going. And of course, we left our hometown to Nashville, which is a 17-hour drive. We just love these long drives. You know? <laughs> yeah. we, we, we didn't even know what we were going there for. We are just kind of like, okay, our manager told us that's where we're going. Let's get in the van, let's go. up and go. So we left at midnight because that's the right time to leave, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> let's get there. Let's get there and be super tired and not energetic. And uh, No, we got there and we're just we had our songs to play and... Uh, we had a new song we'd just written called Bring Him Out. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, no, that's not true. Disregard that. We didn't have, we just, we had our songs from Letters to the President that we were going to play. Uh, they want us to play three songs. And there was like 
12 different bands and it was a showcase so you get three songs or five minutes or whatever it was and I know we didn't have a lot of time we drove a long way to play hardly anything so um, I just remember loading in and watching this band on the stage sound checking and they were like a legitimate band and I was just like why did we come here we, <laughs> there's there is no way anyone is gonna pay any attention to us we're just like we're kind of a joke band like that's yeah. kind of that's why people liked us you know we were we were self-deprecating we made fun of ourselves we weren't known as the most talented band but right. people liked us because we were fun and oh they're polite they're Canadians they're, they're just good kids you know right <laughs> they're just they're easy to talk to they'll hang out they'll go to they'll go to Denny's with us afterwards you know, that's that's literally why people liked us they're like the relatable well, simple plan yeah <laughs> yeah well We'll buy their t-shirt because we feel sorry for them. You know what I mean? And so that was our thing. So right. it was like, this is this is a bad idea. We're just going to get embarrassed here. So anyways, this band that was playing was actually, we found out that it was all of Keith Urban's band. And they were playing, just doing this thing. A couple songs, just a few songs we wrote. And they were like, unbelievable. <laughs> but but the thing is, back to what I was saying, but we were the self-deprecating fun band. All these bands played their songs and then hit the road or went back home or whatever. And yeah. so when all was said and done, the last band standing was us. We stuck around. Just we knew there's free food, so we just hung out, got some <laughs> got some hot dogs and burgers, and just okay. like we're 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 gonna ride this out till they kick us out because this is amazing. Right. Um, and while we we're there, I just remember talking to this guy. Didn't know who he was. His name was Greg Sills. And uh, just thought Greg was being a nice guy. Just asked me a bunch of questions, talking about the band. Oh, yeah, we're from Canada. Like, so what do you do, Greg? And Greg was a music supervisor for NBC. Oh, wow. And uh, without me knowing this, I just thought Greg was being a nice guy. Just chatting with me. And I'm just I'm just chatting to Greg because he's right. the only guy talking to me right now. <laughs> you know, um, the coleslaw is amazing. So, right. <laughs> um, so me and Greg are chatting. And he's like, would you guys ever want to be on a TV show? I'm like, no, that's okay. No, I was like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, what do we have to do? Yeah. Right. So long story short, um, Greg got us on NBC's American Dreams where we acted out The Who. That's incredible. And, uh, yeah, but at this point, the band was breaking up, so we're like, great, so we don't have a band. <laughs> <laughs> or no, actually, the band was still intact then. It was right after American Dreams that the okay. band that we broke up, per se. And I was kind of freaking out because we just got our, our big break. You know, we made it in, in a sense. Um, and then from then, that sparked um, Yours, Mine, and Ours with Rene Russo and Dennis Quaid. Mm, yeah. And that's where we didn't have a band. So uh, we went from having nothing to suddenly um, Yours, Mine, and Ours really kind of, it just put us on a whole other level, Joe. And, yeah. Uh, that's where I we first time any of us had experienced like real money. And like endorsements and real tours and like our record sales like quadrupled and we were just like we were like one of those legitimate bands suddenly and it wasn't just the Christian market that took interest in us and suddenly all these other like like market the the mainstream market was looking at us and suddenly they're playing our songs and our songs are being added to Major League Baseball Network and yeah. NHL Network and we're like it just it was unbelievable man and uh, we just it just hit us like a ton of bricks and I guess we didn't really know how to deal with it <laughs> to be honest with you yeah so yeah i love that you know it's it's interesting it's interesting to me how different artists navigate their career and the consistent theme that i found through doing this podcast is that 
you know, there's two things. I think one is success looks different to every single person and it is defined differently. And, um, you know, success can come in a lot of different forms, but in addition to that, with that success, what comes with the success is the hard work and the, the ability to put yourself out there, you know, your personality and your, your craft. And you're just, if you're aware enough of what you need to work on and you continue to work on it and you make these genuine connections, people are drawn to your stratosphere, you know? And I think, I think if you're out there, you know, you're trying to just play and book it and be like, well, whatever, if they like us, they like us. If they don't, they don't. You know, you're, that's only going to get you so far. And then you're hanging around having genuine conversations, not trying to, you know, network in a negative way because you know, this guy's the, the NBC guy, but just really chatting him up because he's there and he's nice and you're just having a genuine conversation. Yeah. Then people are drawn to you. I wasn't trying to land a gig or anything. It was just, yeah. I think personality is much more important than talent. Although both are important, but if you don't have personality, then you're just a band that just may have good songs, but right. every every band's got great songs now because, you know, that's just the way it is, you know? Right, exactly. And you've got to find a way to to stand out and to be different. Um, and and that's, you know, that's part of it. That That's where it comes in your personality is the ability to stand out. Um, now walk through, and, and forgive me if I'm misremembering, have y'all, did y'all tour on Warp Tour at any point? That was a that was a big clash for us. Okay. Warp Tour was one of those things that was on my bucket list. Okay. And sadly, with Hawk Nelson, I never got to do it. Okay. Um, well, I apologize for <laughs> hitting a sore spot. Um, no, it's okay. But but that was something I I didn't think so, but I wanted to double check. But but to that point, I guess maybe a, a better question along the same lines of of Warp Tour is you know you're you're gaining in popularity in these mid to mid to late 2000s and you've got the punk rock scene is still very very much um at top of the music charts and you've got Green Day and Blink and to a lesser extent some 41 but you've got in Simple Plan and of course MXPX and and Hawk Nelson and so you've got You've got all these bands, and what was it? When did you start seeing, or did you? Maybe this is a better question. Did you feel the need to evolve your sound in the midst of all of the other music? And if so, how did you go about that? Uh, I wish all of Hawk Nelson was here right now because we would all have a completely different answer. <laughs> uh, that was that was always a huge tension for us because mm. me, I'm you know I will rock stomping grounds and open your eyes from goldfinger all day every day even today yeah um for me i'm like if it ain't broke don't fix it sure i i'm like let's keep as raw and original to our sound as possible where everyone else would be like no have you heard you know the new mayday parade album they've got some synth stuff and it's poppy we need to probably evolve a little bit more to be more commercial where i'm like but this is who we are right and so that was a that was a thing we butt heads on with a lot um, also, and I, I definitely want to stay more mainstream to appeal to, you know, the warp Tour market where sure. they were like, we want to be, we want Christian radio to play us. So that was always a thing we clashed on. Mm. Um, I, I, I see both sides. Of course I do. Right. Um, but if I, if it was my decision, I would have been like, no, we're going to stay over here. Let's play house of blues in Chicago for 20 people instead of play down the road at the Christ church for 
three thousand people right. for ten grand. I'd rather I'd rather make fifty bucks on a loaf of bread for yeah a ch- a chance to grow our audience. It might right. take a little bit longer, but I think that would be a really good idea for us. Um, but it's from a business standpoint, it made sense to to go to Church of Christ and make the ten grand. Right. I get that. Yeah. But uh, deep down, that's what I, I'd much rather. You know, I'm old school like that. Yeah. Well, and I think you get to a point as well where you start saying, what is the, you know, you get, you have to start answering the question of like, what's the end goal? And obviously the end goal is yeah. like, you want to make money, you want to provide for your family, you want to be financially secure. Of course, nobody's ever questioning that. But I think the other end goal is, what is your end goal for the music? Is it to be more, you know, uh, to get as much airplay as possible, in which case it makes sense to go play it the, you know, the Christ church and to make the music a little bit more mainstream since play on Christian radio stations, or is the end goal to know we want to keep the core of who we are with our sound. And we know we we've proven that there's an audience for it. So we want to continue to grow and develop that because they're going to grow up. I mean, I was all in on this music scene and I still rock it today. So, I mean, you know, that's, you know, it's like we're, and then, and then it allows you to get a new crop of fans who are going to start consuming the music as well. You know, I, so many people that have been on it have taught that are older artists have talked about, you know, negative association with Spotify, but also the, the silver lining of Spotify is the fact that you can have these, these rabbit hole journeys. Oh, you like Hawk Nelson. You'll also probably like these people and these people and these people. And that gets you into other under, you know, different discovered paths. And so, yeah. So to your point, I can totally see continuing to get the core, keep the core of who you are, but you do, it, it is, I can see how that's a clash because you really do have to figure out what is the end goal of music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, punk rock fans, true punk rock fans will always be punk rock fans. Yes. Look at you. Yep. Look at me. You know, like I'm still always searching for new bands that are coming out and I, and I still love it to this day. And new kids are becoming, and I get that music evolves. And I'm sorry, but today's me. I will not. I won't even let my kids listen to the radio. Like I make sure I put on the classic rock station because some of the music today is just <laughs> garbage. And it's just like, come on. Like I'm so scared for when my kids are like 20. Like what's the music going to sound like? So I'm hoping punk rock will circle back to the yeah. mainstream again at some point. Yeah. Uh, and then I just can't wait to see all these punk rock bands that have transition transitioned into like pop bands yeah. come right back again. And right. It's just like, you should, you should have just stuck with it. Right. But, yeah. Everything um, is when I was, when I, I mean, that is the reason I left. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like the idea of turning into a AC contemporary band. It's just, that was yeah. not my sound. I didn't believe that was the sound Hognos was designed to be. Um, and so one of my farewell meetings, I met with one of, uh, a guy I trusted, um, at, at the EMI CMG building in Nashville. And I just had a one-on-one meeting with him and he had the same meeting. He had the same conversation with audio adrenaline back in the day as they were kind of going through the same thing. And he asked me, he's like, what kind of band are you? I'm like, we're a punk rock band. He's like, then that's what you need to make. That's what you need to be. be then be a punk rock band. Yeah. And I was like, you're right. Uh, and he said, I said the same thing to Audio Journal. You're a rock band, then be a rock band. I'm like, right. that's all, that's all I need to hear. And then I went and told the guys, I'm like, I'm out. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Cause that's, it just, I felt, didn't feel right to me. And, yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, it is okay. So as we're winding down this segment, what was the, 
Um, maybe two two final questions for this segment. Number one, I'd love to know if there was a specific song that you were most proud of uh, bringing to creation and during your time with Hawk Nelson. And then then the second follow up would be is what was what was it like when you did depart? What was the the official send off? How was that emotionally for you? How was that emotionally with the band? Where where was your state of mind? That kind of stuff. So song and then exit. Uh, song man, there's it's weird, man, because like each song, it's it's that's a part of me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's always a special part of each song. Like I I haven't listened to Hawk Nelson's song in a long time, but it's just certain. There's certain if I did, I'd hear something like. You just go right back to that moment of writing and sitting in that room or whatever on the road, or you're like, "Oh, I remember that moment." Um, I guess back to to Rain Maida. Yeah. Uh, we didn't we didn't really get to circle back to that, but yeah, um, that was from um, Hawk Nelson is my friend, and we recorded that album with David Bendith, who was a pretty big deal as well. And he was a fellow Canadian, and uh, in order to produce for him to produce the album, he gave us a list of people to write songs with, and I spotted Rain Maida. And Chantal Kreviazic, his wife, on that list, and I'm like, hands down, that's who I'm writing songs with. Yeah. So the, one of the songs I wrote with Rain was called "Somebody Else," and it was super. It's just one of those ballads, but it's just the memory of of just hearing him and just getting to write that song with him was just something I'll cherish forever. Like that guy is like, he's a hero of mine. And yeah. The fact that I got to, the fact that I got to hang out with him and just I'm gonna call him on the phone. And I'm like. Hey, hey man, this is Jason Dunn. He's like, hey, yeah, hey man, come on in. I'm like, oh, oh, you know who I am? Like, oh, I'm like, oh, okay, but you're trying, you're trying to sound cool. Hey, hey man, how's it going? Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Like, you know, just, <laughs> just uh, that, yeah, that that's one of those memories that I don't know. Our Lady Peace is one of those Canadian icons, and I know in 20 years from now there's still going to be a Canadian icon, so yep. I'll be able to brag to my kids someday, like. Daddy knew that guy. Daddy went to his house once and wrote a song with him. Yeah. You know, it's just, I don't know. That's just one of those. I love so it. My mind is, I can't, I don't believe it still. It's awesome. But. I got to tell you, probably uh, my favorite, just from my own personal standpoint, probably my favorite song was actually uh, Things We Go Through from Letters to the President. And that was, I mean, that hit me. I was, you know, 16 when I got that album. And, you know, it was one of the, you know, you're, you're 16, you're in high school. Every, every, everything is you know times a hundred with regards to emotions and feelings and so then yeah. then also you get you know a band that is the sound you like and is a song and i'm like yes these are the things that i go through and so <laughs> yeah. uh, i love that song so that's a that's a personal preference of mine for sure that's awesome man but yeah so what was it like as we're as we're ending this segment what was it like for you to actually say goodbye to the band and then to move into the new chapter which we'll cover in the next segment yeah um saying quitting Hawk Nelson was hands down the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Mm. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what we're going to do, but like I've been, I've gotten divorced Yeah. and leaving the band was way harder than that. Yeah. Like there was, I mean, it was a career that I was just hanging up. It was my friends. I'm like, we're probably not going to really talk much anymore. Yeah. They're going to be hurt. I'm hurt. Uh, I don't know what's next. So that was a that was a weird thing. Right. I'm like I'm 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 an adult now. I should probably have a backup plan. Yeah. I don't. So like, I I was freaking out uh, on the inside, trying to act like I had it all together. But it was, it was not easy for sure. Yeah. Definitely. And, uh, yeah. 
All right. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm here with Jason Dunn. And now you've left Hawk Nelson. Um, and what does music look like for you at this point? And this is 2012, if I'm not mistaken, so about eight years ago? Yeah, 2012. Okay. Let's what a year, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's recap those those uh, last eight years here in this segment. All right. Well, I... Oh, this is, it's, it's, there was a very dark, there was a dark few years I was in, man. Sure. Uh, probably, I'd say probably from 2009 to 2000, 2014, 2015, sure. I was, I was in a weird headspace. Um, I, I got married in 2009, um, short, <laughs> and it, the, uh, the marriage right off the start wasn't a good one. Sure. It was just kind of a, I, I took the plunge cause my friends did kind of thing. And yep. I had, I had three weeks off from touring. So I'm like, Oh yeah, let's get married. And, yeah. Uh, went on a short honeymoon and got to go. I got to get back on tour. And, um, just, I didn't know how, I didn't know how to be married and yeah. that's okay. I, I honestly, I don't have any regrets at all. I, I'm, I'm pre- actually thankful for the experience because I learned, I've learned how to be a husband and, um, yeah, and I'm I'm actually quite thankful for the opportunity, to, the opportunity to, for a fresh start. But um, not only that, it my my uh, what do you call it? My no, I don't want to say my real life, but my personal life sure um, was different from my professional life, and um, the problems I was dealing with on the inside were starting to surface, and um, I started really struggling with alcohol addiction while I was on the road. Um, in a Christian rock band, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Who would have guessed? Um, it just, 
it just really spiraled out of control pretty quick. Um, I just, I didn't know how to control my anger. I didn't know how to control my temper. I didn't know how to control my alcohol. Um, and I just was getting myself into a lot of trouble. Um, band was starting to be a little hesitant to take us on the road now because we were no longer those fun-loving Canadian boys. We right. had immigrated to Nashville and we were now just a Nashville band that yeah. just hung out and did our thing and hopped on a tour bus and stayed on our bus till the sound check, sound check, go hang on the bus and just we became that band. Right. And uh, yeah, I just it just was kind of a weird few years. Um, that definitely didn't help with me, uh, just my personal life, um, especially now that we, you know, certain things have been exposed and people didn't want to take us on the road. And the, the music scene, the Christian music scene isn't a very big scene. So right. when someone hears about the singer of a, of a band that's, that's doing fairly well, getting in fights on the road with road managers and stuff like that, like, uh, word spreads pretty fast. Sure. So, um, yeah, eventually people just stopped having interest in bringing us on the road and, uh, our management was having a hard time with me and I was just kind of butting heads. Like, and like I said earlier about this shift of just, there was different ways of making it. And suddenly it's like, where was that shift where suddenly I like, I felt like I was, I was in charge. What made me think I was the boss suddenly. Right. But it, so it, it, it happened and it just happened just like that without knowing it. And, uh, I, I do now that I've now that I've got my head on straight and I, I think back to it, I really do think Joe that the the shift was it was in an airport. Um, we were sitting in an airport at like six a.m. somewhere in some random city in the United States, and uh, Jonathan, our guitar player, said to me, "He's like, bro, it's like you know you're verified on Twitter." <laughs> and I'm and I was like, "What's that?" I didn't know what it meant. I I got a Twitter account because our manager told us to get one. Right. And, and I was like, oh, okay, so like, you know, you can interact with fans. Like, okay, sure, just tell me, sign me up and tell me what I need to do kind of thing. Right. And it was fun. And I didn't, and he's like, look, and he's like, I'm like, what? He's like, you got the blue check mark. And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. He's like, that's, it verified, that's, you're verified. That means that you're you. It's <laughs> like, I was like, oh, what a relief, you know, just right. like sarcastic. All right, yeah. And then, and then we got on our flight and, and if suddenly that I think the shift was there, man, where I was like, I, you know what? I am a big deal now. Yeah. I, and as weird as that is, it was just that stupid little blue check mark. Yeah. Um, and then when we got off our flight, the rest of the guys got their blue check mark. They're like, oh, we got it. We're verified. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, and I'm like, okay, cool. So we're all a big deal now. And right. I said it as a joke, but I think something that stuck and I became suddenly arrogance just kind of stepped in and yeah. took over. And in fact, when I left Hawk Nelson, and I actually deleted, they said if you if you change your name, you'll lose your verification. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> to prove to prove I wasn't me, I actually changed my name because I I it was wrecking me and it was doing something to my head. Yeah. So I got rid of it. Um, I didn't need it. It doesn't prove anything. Right. <laughs> I became I became more verified to myself when I got rid of the verification. Sure. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, but I think that was the that was the weird. That's just seems what my head keeps going back to, to that weird moment. I suddenly became like, oh, look at me suddenly. And yeah, that's social media is a weird thing, man. And I don't know. I don't think I'm a fan. I think I'm anti-social media. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's fine. I think there's a lot there in the fact that you can recognize you're, you know, you're, you, you've done enough 
soul searching and internal work to recognize when you had these moments that made you feel disen, you know, like not genuine. Right. And so, and, and very, I mean, we've all been there and I think to various levels and degrees, but I think when you can get a point, get to a point where you step back and you can say, this is what is causing me to be inauthentic. And this is what I know I need to do in order to get that authenticity back. I think it's, it says a lot and it's very brave for you to be able to, to recognize that. So, so you're a, you know, uh, a BFD, a big deal. Um, and then, <laughs> and then, <laughs> you, right, right. No, I know. Now, now. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Um, and so you've left talk Nelson. And so, you know, you talk, we talked about at the top of the show that music was at a point, everything. And now it's, it's a thing you enjoy, but it's less, it's no longer the only thing to you. So let's talk about, let's unpack that and walk yeah. through what, what that means for you to be able to have a statement like that. And what does mean mean the world to you at this point? Yeah, so the last few years, I've really, um, the question I've asked myself, and I've asked this for longer than three years, but the question is, what is what will be my legacy? Mm. You know, when all is said and done, yeah. what will you be remembered for? Yeah. And my whole career, I'm like, yeah, if I was to die today, people would be like, yeah, that guy was the dude from Hawk Nelson. That was... You know, he was the singer of this band. That was, that was, that would have been my legacy. And you know what? That's what I would have wanted. Right. That's what I would have wanted to be remembered as. Today, that is completely different. Right. Um, I'm I'm married um, to the love of my life, uh, my partner in crime, my wife Neve. <laughs> um, she's from Ireland. Um, her name doesn't make any sense when you spell it. Her name has an H and an M in it. <laughs> and it makes it makes a V sound. Um, and together we've got three amazing kids, Ryan, Maddie, and Mila. And all three of them are under the age of three or just three and under. Yeah. My girls are twins and uh, they are they are our everything. Yeah. Um, I wake up in the morning for them. I go to sleep, saying goodnight to them. And uh, they're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me and the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. Um, so uh, I actually said this yesterday to, to my boss, uh, like, uh, that's about my legacy is if, if I was to die, I actually had a, a close call with death, uh, about three months ago, my heart actually stopped and I was resuscitated oh, wow. in my living room. Oh yeah. My God. Was, I don't, I, I don't talk about it to anybody. It's kind of, I keep that on the download, but yeah, I was, uh, I was gone for a bit and, uh, I, I, I thought it was it and it was just a weird, a weird thing. And that's, that's really where the whole legacy thing has really made an impact on me now. Yeah. Um, where, if all is said and done, if I was gone today, like people, I'm sure the opera like, oh yeah, that guy was the guy that was in Hawk Nelson. But today, the, I'd say 90% of my people now, they're like, that was Neve's husband. That was Ryan's dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's what I would have wanted. You know what I mean? And So that's why I say music. It, it is it is important to me, but it's nowhere near my everything. Right. So. That is so powerful. I mean, as a fellow dad, I can completely relate and, and I have, you know, I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old and so I'm a boy and a girl and, and I just, yeah, I, I, I was ma- I was having this conversation with someone the other day and I said, it is crazy to me how I know I heard my entire life the phrase, 
um, I, I would ask something like, what is it like to be a parent, right? Or what is it like to be a dad or whatever? And I would hear like, it's indescribable. It is just the moment is indescribable. I'm like, okay, right, right. But give me a, give me a, what, what it's, you know, like, give me a comparison. And it's like, I can't. And I finally f- can feel that. And, and the switch flips f- for me. And I know for others I've chatted to as well. And definitely it sounds like for you. It's like when you're holding your firstborn, it just, you're looking in their eyes and you, there's a switch that flips where you're like, okay, I'm no longer living for me anymore. Yeah. Like it's done. Like, right, like that <laughs> chapter just, is ended. Everything yeah. I'm doing, every decision I'm making, every piece of art that I'm putting out, whatever I'm doing is for them. And that's exactly what I want, you know? Yeah. And my son was born at uh, close to 11 o'clock at night. And of course, we didn't sleep. We're just staying up all night, just (laughs) looking at him. We're like, make sure he's breathing, you know, the whole thing in the hospital. Um, But then around, uh, I don't know, it was around 2 o'clock. So my wife's mom lives in New York. And so as soon as her water broke, her mom left and drove. It's about an eight-hour drive. So she got there. Um, They came around midnight or 1 o'clock to see Ryan and see Neve and me and whatever. and then they went and checked in their hotel, but um, they came back first thing in the morning. They're like, why don't you go home and get some rest? And I was like, yeah, that might be a good idea. And I was like, I wasn't going to be able to sleep, but I, I slept for like four hours or whatever and got up. And But that four hours was the longest. I was like, I got to get back there and make sure everyone's okay. And right. You're right. That switch was there. And I remember saying, or just, I don't think I said it, but I was singing it to myself going back up to the hospital room. I was like, if I was still in a band touring right now, I'm like, the very first, I wouldn't even call my mom to tell her her grandson was born. I'd be like, I'd be calling the bands like, I'm out. There's, there's no way I'm leaving this family behind. Right. You know, and uh, I, I remember as a kid, I was, it was a project in school to write out a bucket list, and of course all the buy a house, you know, right. tour tour the world, sign a record deal. That yeah. was all up there. But I think number four or five on my list was to be a dad. And that's always been a passion and a, a, a really strong thing for me. I've always wanted to be a parent. And um, it's it's by far the greatest thing I've ever been able to accomplish. And I don't think it'll be beat. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, 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 I'm not the best dad. Uh, <laughs> my wife, my wife, uh, this whole COVID thing is nuts, man. Yeah. So my wife, she goes to the gym at nights. and But you have to schedule your hour in at the gym. Sure. So she had... 7.30 to 8.30 tonight. So I'm I'm like, yeah, I'll put the kids down. No big deal. Me and the kids. and um, My one daughter, Maddie, I mean, this is probably TMI, but she had a major diaper explosion. <laughs> and um, you have to you have to put like pants over top of the – or shorts over the diaper because now they're at the phase where they just rip them off in the middle of the night and it's a disaster. Yeah. So I have like these leotard shorts strapped on her <laughs> and she went – she destroyed her diaper, so I'm changing her diaper up in her crib. Well, her sister, trying to keep her sister asleep, I'm like, and her shorts are just destroyed. So I'm like, but I couldn't find shorts. Right. So she's she's in bed right now wearing jean shorts over her diaper. <laughs> so I, that's probably that's probably a dad fail, but I panicked. Like, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm dad of the year. I don't know. I think so. I think but, so. Yeah. No, but I. I might I, be TMI. But. No, no, it's great. It's great, and I, I can totally relate to the. Um, to the wanting to be a dad, I know that that was something that I have always wanted, even as a young kid. Like I knew I wanted to be a dad, I wanted to be a parent. This is something that I want to do, and I'm looking forward to it. So, 
uh, it's nice to know I'm not the only one. So it works. It <laughs> works out. Um, let's talk about because you you've had a few uh, songs that you've released, if I'm not mistaken, uh, since Hawk Nelson's. Um, I know you had a little bit of a couple of projects. So so talk me through. Um, I'm trying to find the name of it, and I don't know why it's escaping me. But talk. You said lights go down. Yes, thank you. Yes. Lights go okay. down. So let's talk about lights go down. I I had it. I had it written down as Lights Go Down. I'm like, no, I, th- I think that's a Hawk Nelson song. So there we go. But um, Derived from a Hawk Nelson right. song, yes. Yeah, so yeah. so what was – let's talk quickly through some of these projects like Lights Go Down and what it meant to you to, to make these because this was back in, what, 2015? Is that correct? 2015, yeah, 2014, 2015. 2014, yeah, 2015. So, yeah. Okay, so about five, six years ago, what well, it was like getting back in the studio and uh, kind of recording – now totally separate from Hawk Nelson, but still kind of, you know, let me talk about Lights Go Down being derived from Hawk Nelson's song. So what was it like kind of getting back in the studio now for the first time absent of Hawk Nelson? Yeah, man, it's uh, what a weird sequence of events. So Lights Go Down was the thing I came up with while I was in Hawk Nelson. Okay. Um, because, because they were trying to shift us in a CCM whatever it was. And I wasn't Christian really contemporary music. Yeah. But like, gotcha. It was more like adult contemporary. Uh, you know what I mean? Sure. It was just yeah, yeah. very, I, it just wasn't my thing. You know, I didn't yeah. listen to it. Why would I make it? You know what I mean? Sure. Um, and I get whatever, but it is what it is. So I was, okay, well I'm going to write all these punk rock songs and continue on. And I'll just, if I can't have the name, I'll just make a new name and just keep my voice and see what happens kind of thing. So I started making all these songs and then uh, then I found out that they're like, well, we're going to continue on without you. I was like, wait, you're going to get a new singer? Like, yeah, we asked John to be the singer. Like, and, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. like that passive, you know, I don't like to cause any problems, Canadian sure. kid. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that's no problem, guys. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Totally. Like, it's a business move. Yeah, totally. But I was, I right. was crushed, man. I was, I was super hurt and I was like, I, I just I'm like, I don't think I would ever do that to him. And I was I, I took it to heart. Yeah. I was offended and mad and angry. It's like well, but I, in my mind I'm like, but, but they said made it sound like they're gonna keep the punk rock kind of vibe, the style. Mm-hmm. Like that's what Hawk Nelson was. And I I'm like, okay cool. So I was like well I can't I'm not gonna compete. I'm like I'm not gonna do a punk rock version of the band I just left. Right. They're gonna continue doing punk rock music. Right. Like, that'd be way too confusing. So I wrote all these super depressing acoustic songs. Yeah. And there and I say that with full calms because I just stumbled across this album uh for the first time in six years, whatever it was. No, it was two thousand twelve that I recorded this album oh, in gotcha. Vancouver. And I called it Lights Go Down. Uh that was my just that was my artist name. Sure. It was just me with an acoustic guitar and it was it was not emo but it was it was emo it was yeah just so depressing and i was just talking about hurt and breaking up and yeah you know, and and my and my marriage wasn't doing very well either so there's just a lot of different things surfacing and it was all coming out through my creative writing and it was bad and i just i was like i can't put this out this is too dark and so i, I didn't ever release it yeah and I'm actually, I'm actually going to release it in two weeks. Oh, nice. Because I, 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 I didn't forget about it, but I just, I, I thought I lost it all because I lost hard drives and I, I just, it was on a hard drive. I'm like, oh my gosh, 
I literally found it like three days ago. So I put it up on on the Spotify two weeks or a couple days ago, and in two weeks it'll be released. So, That's awesome. Um, just be forewarned. Disclaimer: It's super dark. And <laughs> it's not. Who, it's not who I am today at all. But I think for the sake of nostalgia, people will get it. Like, wow, there's a lot of. It's a breakup album, but yeah. it's a breakup album to a band I was in. Yeah. Um, but so I did that, and then and then I heard a couple of the Hawk Nelson, the new Hawk Nelson songs, mm-hmm. and I was like. Oh, this is not what I expected. Yeah, it was like it was super like contemporary and poppy and like yeah, like okay, so it's not punk rock at all. Like, so I could have probably done a punk rock album. <laughs> um, so then, um, some guys I've been playing with, I toured as a solo artist for way too long. I hated every minute of it. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot of work. It was grind, especially when you come off. And this is where I realized how successful Hawk Nelson was is when I was sure. back on the road driving around in a van and trailers like, oh, I miss I miss the glory days. Of, <laughs> you know, I, I, I got it then. I think that's when it clicked. I'm like, oh, huh. I took that for granted. Um, but yeah, I didn't enjoy being on the road like that. Um, at this point, I was in my 30s at this point. I'm like, this, this isn't going to go too long. Right. And I was right. But um so then I was in New York. Um, my marriage was kind of already on the rocks. So uh, at this point, my wife, or my well, my ex-wife had moved to Los Angeles to pursue her career. And some guys I've been playing with in New York, um, some buddies of mine had, I, I had showed them a couple of the demos I was working on that I'd never released. And they're like, dude, this is awesome punk rock stuff. Like, you should record this. And I'm like, well, I, I, I don't know. Anyways, long story short, we, we started working together, my friend Ryan and I and his brother Nate, and uh, <clears throat> we went with Lights Go Down and they produced it, and uh, we marketed it as a four-piece band um, with some guys that I'd kind of known, and um, I was super amped about these songs, and again, the, the phase of life I was in where I was going through a, an actual breakup uh, in my marriage, it was, the, the, lyrically, it's pretty strong and dark and depressing. Yeah. Yeah, but man, there's some there's some bangers on there that I'm really I was super privileged to write with um, with Ryan and Nathan Hughes, and um, yeah, I, and as I'm so glad you brought up Lights Go Down, and I was like hoping this morning I'm like oh, I hope he brings up Lights Go yeah. Down because not only did I find those old demos of the original acoustic album, I found some other old uh, oh those are recorded. I found demos of some songs I've been writing. That I never released and recorded, so I actually I am getting the band back together, man. Oh, and I sent uh, yeah. I sent my friend Travis, uh, who's a, an exceptional drummer. I sent him five demos this morning. I was like, buddy, I'm like, learn these songs. Uh, we'll make some tweaks, and we're gonna start jamming them out here in the next couple of weeks. And uh, I'm hoping to get back in the studio in the next couple of months and uh, record another five song EP as lights go down. So that's awesome. You've heard it here. I love it. I absolutely love it. That's fantastic. Oh, uh, well, as we're getting ready to to wrap up, I want to say uh, one last question would be: if somebody is, if somebody is wanting to break into the music industry, what is a core value or mantra that you would like them to remember? Yeah, man, that's that's great because. I wish I had me right now to tell me that when I was starting out, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and that would be what I said earlier, Eddie DeGarmo on my one-on-one meeting with them, find your genre and get really good at it and stick with it. Music will always evolve. Um, so 
you know what, country music might be the next big thing on radio. That doesn't mean you become a country artist. Right. If you're a rock band, be a rock band. And have fun with it. Don't don't sweat the little things and just enjoy yourself because uh, eventually you're going to become like me and you're going to have to work and you want to remember the glory days where it was just like, oh, that was just a lot of fun. Yeah. And I take that into my real job today where it's I, I have a lot of fun every day and I enjoy I enjoy what I do for work and I still make music for work, but it's just in a different uh, a different way. But uh, I, I, I make sure that I don't make it work. Even though it is work, I don't make it yeah. like a job. So I hear you. I, I come, I go to work excited and I come home excited. I've got the best of both worlds, Joe. That's awesome. I absolutely love it. Well, Jason, thank you so much for stopping by the show today. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And here to play us out one last time is Jason Dunn. Mesmerized, out of breath. Now my heart is broken. I love you now. I loved you then. But I can't see the light. I've memorized every word that your lips have spoken Right to me, right through me, now here I am to say It's hard to say goodbye, but it's not forever So I'll sing to you My tongue is tied, my lips are sealed, my yesterday chapters behind It's hard to say goodbye But it's not forever So I'll sing to you My tongue is tied My lips are sealed My yesterday makes me feel Like a song without a rhythm It's chasing me
This podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.